What is up, Leafs fam? This is the Leafs Convo, now available on Radio Public. Just so you know, more option, more choice. I am Norman James, so thankful to have you aboard for this special edition of the pod. You see, it's not going to be me and Mike Agello. It's going to be Mike and his longtime friend, Bill Waters, former assistant GM of the Leafs, who actually held down the fort as de facto general manager of the Buds for a short period of time. You may know Bill, you may not know him, but we know he always has a take on the Leafs, especially now with so much going on here's mike agello and bill waters a special edition of the leafs combo we are pleased to be joined once again by the former assistant general manager of the toronto maple leafs mr bill waters good morning bill good morning mike thanks for having me pleasure as always um haven't spoken to you since before the end of the regular season. At that point, the Leafs were uh, lodged in third place in the Atlantic Division. It was a, you know, undetermined who they were going to play in the first round of the playoffs. It ended up being the Boston Bruins, which I thought was the easier of the two big teams in the Atlantic. And the Leafs did take the Bruins to a seventh game and did lead it going into the third period of that game seven, but did lose and their season ended for in the minds of some Leaf fans, prematurely. Um, overall, just give me your overall feeling on the season and then specifically on the series against Boston. Well, I, I thought they had a good season, uh, uh, and that's an accomplishment. I mean, you have to separate that from what happens in the playoffs, and, and that only adds to or detracts from your regular season. But I thought the Leafs played well in open ice play that is more prevalent in the regular season. In the playoffs, I was disappointed with a number of things, not the least of which is the guy who I have probably more confidence in in that organization than anyone uh, is Babcock. And I thought his rating as a coach was as low as I could put it in any seven-game series that I've been involved with that he's been in charge. I didn't think the team was ready in either game – well, perhaps I shouldn't say the first game they were ready. The second game, they they didn't know where they're whether they're coming or going. Uh, he made some bad uh, personnel decisions in the fourth game when he put Jake Gardner out on the four on four, which is simply stating we're going for the goal. We're not going to keep this game tied. We're going for the goal, and don't send Jake Gardner when you're going for the goal, and it means he has to hit a winger on a pinch because that's what happened. Give up goal, uh, Marchand scores, nice pass, Pasternak. Now it's 2-1, to one, and it's a different ball game. Then I fast forward to game uh, 7, and as if he hadn't learned from game 4, he puts Gardner back out in a 4-on-4 situation against Jake DeBrusque, a kid, first-year pro, and he manhandled Jake Gardner like Jake Gardner only can be manhandled. It was embarrassing, only exceeded by the inability of Freddie Anderson, who had stood on his head to this point, to find a way of stopping a puck that was going less than five miles an hour. I was bitterly disappointed in those two areas. Otherwise, I I felt they gave the Bruins everything they wanted, and uh, uh, if if you think you're going to win with that defense, you're not. And you have to make a lot of major changes as far as I'm concerned, particularly in those people that you have as your trustworthy first pair. 
whoever they are, whether it's Gardner and Zaitsev. Zaitsev was playing injured and or ill. I don't know which, but both were apparent. And Gardner was playing his usual game. You cannot, you cannot put him on the ice when there's a, a, a one-goal uh, variance one way or the other because he is going to find a way of misplaying it defensively. He just cannot do it. And as much as they're now trying to stir up a campaign to keep him, I mean, I don't, I don't buy that. I, I don't think they'll ever win with Jake Gardner playing defense. They might win with him playing center, but playing defense, they'll never win with him. Yeah, he's not he's not Red Kelly. Um, but back to your original point about Babcock, I know that I spoke to a couple Boston reporters early in the series after the first two games, and basically they said Babcock is so fixated on the matchup situation, on either getting uh, well Kadri in game one until he got suspended, and then um, I think it was Marlowe in the middle matching them up against the Bergeron line and getting Matthews away from the Bergeron line that, you know, he got, he had himself or got himself caught in situations. And that's not usually what Mike Babcock does. Now it, it turned out much better when he was, when he had the last change at home, he made the switch to Placanitz. I think they played better from game three on to the, the third period of game seven. And I think he, he coached very well at that point. But early in the series, I mean, they were manhandled and they were dominated by the Bruins in those first two games in Boston. Well, the way I look at it, Mike, and this is an oversimplification, I must admit. If you bench Jake Gardner after game three, you win the series. Very simply, you win the series because you win game four. You already win game five and game six. You don't have to let Jake Gardner lose you the game in game seven. And he admitted it. I mean, it was a it was a weak play by a weak player. This guy doesn't have it for a defenseman. He is not nearly aggressive or tough enough. The rule on pinching is if you don't get the puck, you better get the winger that's on that side because he's gone by you. And that's what happened. He didn't even bother touching Pasternak. I guess he wasn't fast enough. I, I, I just I feel badly when a player who's played as long as he has in the league and makes the same fundamental errors every series or every set of games hasn't been corrected. And I, I don't think that Babcock would let that go unnoticed because he doesn't with too many other people. So I think that this, it's an impossibility. The flaw is the flaw, and if you want to play with it, don't tell me about going to the second round. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's 27 years old. He is what he is going to be. There is no, I'm going to improve. He's yeah. going to be improved in the next couple of years. He's, he's a finished product at 27. And, yeah. and Babcock has admitted in, in press conferences and comments that, you know, that's basically, that's what Jake is, and I have to coach around that. And, you know, in, in his first, in that last year when he had that breakthrough year and his plus minus was fantastic, Gardner avoided it was you know they avoided putting top lines against him this year it was less so and I think you know it, he still put up 52 points but you could see when he's matched up against creative players like he was against Pasternak, Marchand, and Bergeron he got taken to the cleaners and, and it, it, this is oh, the question yeah. I and, and even against DeBrusque I mean that winning yeah. goal in the in the seventh game I mean he had a lot of help from Freddie Anderson who did nothing. But right. he should never have ever let the brush get a shot away. He had him covered, and he was afraid he was going to get hit. I, I'm, 
I'm very skeptical of Jake Gardner going forward and being a defenseman who can defend himself and, more importantly, eliminate the man who he has to eliminate in certain situations. And and that's and I'll, I'll just jump to the future because we're on Gardner right now and ask this question. Jake Gardner is in the position going into this summer, that the, and the Leafs are in the position with him, that they were in last summer with Bozak, Komarov, and JVR. One year left in the contract, reasonable cap hit, but he's a UFA. And to me, it's one of those crap or get off the pot moments. It's either you trade him and get as much as you can for him, or you sign him to the extension. I, I personally, I mean, I'm not one of the people who jumped on him for the minus five in game seven. His, his problems are his problems. It's never going to change. But right now at $4 million, he's a flawed defenseman, but okay, it's acceptable. If you're paying him $6 million bucks a year, which he probably gets in free agency as a 52-point defenseman, I, you can't accept that. That's why I think whoever the GM is, and we'll talk about that in a second, they're gonna, the first big decision is going to be re-sign Jake Gardner or use him in a package to get another defenseman or, or to address another area. Well, I, I don't think they can go forward with Jake Gardner in their top two for sure, and he's a protected 3-4 guy in my estimation. You can't even send him out for the second line. I he, he just is fundamentally defensively flawed. So to, I would not re-sign him. What I would hope for is that I can trade him, and that's, some, that's the challenge that the Leafs have. They're not going to be any worse without him. They're, they're, they should make the playoffs without him, and if they aren't, then they're not nearly as good as we think they are. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to have to accept the fact that if they're going to win, they have to win with players that don't make errors at inopportune times, and, and he, he's like, uh, he's liable anytime he's on the ice in a difficult situation to give the puck up and make it easy for the other team. And I know that that's not his modus operandi, but that's what comes out of his hockey machine. And one final thing on, on that series, and if you saw it sort of play out in the second round series between Tampa and Boston, I, I thought... Tampa was a much deeper, much more experienced version of the Leafs in terms of the fact that they could score, um, and they were deep, four lines deep, and they had good goaltending. But they, you know, they had advantages that the Leafs didn't. One, they had a deeper defense, especially with the addition of McDonough. Two, I think that they had that veteran savvy and the and the snarl and pushback that you needed against the Bruins. And Bill, in the series against the Bruins. Other than Zach Hyman and Roman Polak, there was no pushback from the Leafs at all. And in the in the series against uh, Tampa versus Boston, you had McDonough, you had Callahan, you had these guys get in the face of Marchand when he was pulling his crap and 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 yeah. offering some pushback. And the thing is, I think for the almost more important than as important as getting a couple defensemen and and bolstering up the middle. I think this team needs to get a little nastier and a little snarlier. And I'm not talking about goons, but I'm talking about guys like Hyman who will go in the corners and go to the front of the net. I think they need that more than anything. Well, Hyman's going to find that a little more difficult because they know Hyman won't fight. Right. They, when you have a situation like the Leafs had in game two, when the dumbest player of the year award was awarded on the ice to Nazem Kadri for what he did, 
But Nazem Kadri was the only player on the Leaf team that could have done that. Right. And that wasn't a smart move. But Kadri would be the only guy that would go up and address Wingle. He would be the only guy to go up and would challenge him. Nobody else will. Look up and down the lineup. There's nobody else. That's what they have to address. They went one way with Matt Martin, and now they've disposed of him. I'm not sure that it's a good disposal. I don't care how fast you are. If you're timid and you're a light checker, you ain't going to accomplish a lot. And I, 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 as much as I know the, the problems that Matt Martin has, so I, 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 don't, I don't understand where they're going with this. I know they need it. It's pretty apparent. And uh, it will depend on what Babcock decides, I guess. Yeah, it, it, they need Matt, the qualities of Matt Martin and somebody who can play in their top nine. They just don't think with the limita- his limitations and speed. And he's not a great finisher, but he's a great team player, and he'll he'll lay somebody out if they need to be laid out, and that, that you know that's valuable. But I, I, they need more toughness up front, and they need more than just Roman. And I think Roman Polak's going to be back, but I think they need more toughness on the on, in the top four of the blue line. Now, okay, let's let's move to what's currently going on. You know, the season is over with. The big news that came out uh right after the after the series was some sort of um disenchantment between Austin Matthews and Mike Babcock. Now, I I was at the end of the season press conferences and in the scrum with Austin Matthews. You know, all he basically was saying was I wanted to play more. You know, he'd like he'd like to play with Mitch Marner because I think he sees what Boston does with Pasternak, Marchand, and Bergeron. And Babcock, when when addressing that situation, says, "You guys want Matthews and Marner to play together. I want to win." So he doesn't think that them playing together is good for the team. He thinks he needs to spread the offense yeah. around. What do you think of this perceived thing with Matthews and Babcock? Well, I think that Babcock should have played Matthews more. It's like being the aggressor in the situation. Let's get our best player out there more because it's going to make it more difficult for a Boston defense that wears down as the games go by, particularly with Chara. Instead, we played into their hand, and the matchups became almost embarrassing. A two-man defensive matchup is much easier than a complete line, and that's all they did. So what you had to do was use the young guy and play him more because Chara can't play more. I mean, he's, he's, if he plays 20 minutes you're, and he ends up got 26, you're going to get six minutes of heaven. So you, 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 I think that was a tactical error, and I don't blame Matthews. If you're going to call him your best player and publicly and how great he is, what the hell is he doing playing 14 minutes a game? That's your third-line center. I'm sorry. So they have to define what their best player is and what they're going to do to make their best player their very best player. And I think Matthews has got all the will that it takes. I don't think, you know, he's not robust, but he's strong and he's big. He's not afraid to hit and or take a check. So I think at the age of 20, if he can't do it now, the extra ice time, he's never going to be able to do it. So they better find out before they start unloading money on him. Yeah, and I, and I don't think he's really pressing the point, but – I mean, again, I think he sees Boston putting all their skill together on one line, two of the probably top five wingers in the NHL and Marchand and Pasternak on the same line with Bergeron, who's you know, probably the best or second best two-way center in the game. 
And, you know, he yeah. probably looks and says, okay, I mean, and nothing against Zach Hyman because I like Zach Hyman, and I think Matthews likes playing with Zach Hyman, but at times, Nealander, especially in the playoffs, he disappeared. They had to put Connor Brown on that line. And the way Marner dominated at times, I think Matthews is saying, put us together. Look at, look at what we could do if we're together. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 and I don't disagree with that, but uh, you've got to – I'd like to see it. it. It's a good thing to try at the beginning of the season, but uh, I think that Babcock has reason not to put them together defensively. But having watched Marner this playoff, he was arguably their best forward, probably was, and he wasn't defensively woeful. He, he was able to maintain his uh, – uh, his presence as, a, as, as on the other side of the puck, and that's as much as he has to do. I I think Hyman is a perfect fit for Matthews, unfortunately. Uh, some people think the puck stops once it gets to Hyman, but they got to remember that the puck starts when he gets it because he's a very aggressive forechecker and smart defensively. He creates a lot of passes on what he does getting the puck. So you, you you kind of break those off. I I don't if if he wants Marner, make it Hyman, Matthews, and Marner. That's my best advice. And double check on William Nylander to see if he wants to play or not. Because if he doesn't, now's the time to trade him. Um, the other the other big off season news, and to some people it was not a surprise. Apparently in NHL circles, it, it had got around over the last couple months. But I I had heard Lou. Lamorello wanted to stay around, but uh, you know Brendan Shanahan decided that you know he was he was brought in on a three-year contract. He was going to stick with that, and now you know unless some outside candidate that we have no they know nothing about um, comes in at the eleventh hour and takes the GM job, it's likely going to be either Kyle Dubas or Mark Hunter. I mean, I've heard I've heard things on both sides, Bill, and I, I know that you know you know Mark Hunter. Uh, and respect him as I do, but the indications are, and I don't know what that means because the, the Leafs are fairly tight-lipped, is that it's going to be Dubas. Um, but what, what are your feelings on what you think is going to happen? Well, let's deal with the Lamorello situation first, Mike. Lou Lamorello was out of work. Uh, he was uh, He had a position. He didn't do much. And so as a favor, and believe me, this was a favor, Lou Lamorella was available for two years. Not one of 31 teams inquired about him being general manager. So Brendan Shanahan did his old boss a favor. He said, Lou, I want you to come, give you a three-year contract as a general manager, and then I'm going to give you a four-year contract as senior advisor. That was rosy at the time. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, as the third year came upon us, Lou decided that he wanted to stay. And that's the campaign you talked about. Oh, Lou wanted to stay. Lou knew better. He was given a favor. He should have walked in at the end of the season and said, Brendan, thank you so much for three of the best years of my life. But no, he didn't. He sat around and he moped. And he wanted to get more. So I don't, I don't have any empathy for Lou Lamorello in that situation. I admire Brendan Shanahan for sticking to his guns. Now, let's go to the next situation. Who's going to take over for Lou Lamorello? First of all, two summers ago, not this, not last summer, the summer before, two years ago, 
uh, Mark Hunter went into the office of Brendan Shanahan, and I, say, I assume said, look, Brendan, if I'm going to do what I do for this hockey team, I, I at least want the title of assistant general manager. And I want you to know that I will not work with Kyle Dubas. Well, perhaps better work for Kyle Dubas. Brendan went along with that, I assume. And uh, the other uh, caveat that Hunter would have had to have added was, when the time comes that Lou leaves at the end of the third year, I want to be the general manager. So that's the predicament that Brendan Shanahan is in right now. And you know that the general manager for the Maple Leafs for the first 25 players is Mike Babcock. You know that the rest of the players on the 50-man reserve list are the responsibility of Mark Hunter. So now you have two guys who are effectively running the 50-man roster. And you have to find room for Kyle Dubas because you want to make him the general manager. Neither one of them, Hunter or Babcock, will report to anyone but Shanahan. That's a given. Otherwise, Hunter's gone. Babcock's not going to go with the money he's got. But you're going to lose Babcock if you tell him he has to report to Dubas. So now, and, and before I go any further, I don't know Kyle Dubas. I'm just giving you the circumstances as I see them in the LEAP organization. So now, in order to make amends to Mark Hunter, he'll have to sign him to a contract extension at a glorified title and exorbitant wages. Say, look, Mark, here's your job. It hasn't changed. I want you to report directly to me. That's fine. Mike, our deal is as is. You got the top 25. You report directly to me. Oh, Kyle, you're going to be the general manager, and you'll look after the Marlies. That's the way I see it. Well, I mean, one of the big considerations, and you touched on it, is if Kyle Dubas is the general manager, how does he, quote, handle the 800-pound gorilla known as Mike Babcock? And the only thing I can think of is, you know, because Brendan, if he's made general manager, Kyle Dubas is, is accountable to Brendan Shanahan, and Brendan Shanahan is putting his reputation by, on the line by making Kyle Dubas the general manager. So the only thing I can think of is that Brendan Shanahan will tell Mike Babcock, he speaks for me, so you're going to have to listen to him at least. Or it's going to be working in concert with each other, but at a certain point the general manager has to make decisions and the coach. I, I, Bill, let's just say that. No, no, I no, no, want, no, not, yeah. not, not, not in Toronto. Not in Toronto. That was the point I made, Mike. There is no general manager in Toronto as long as Babcock is there. There is no general manager in Toronto as long as you've got a personnel guy with legitimate NHL experience, the only person on the staff who has. Right. You're not going to – you you just aren't going to give him up. Hunter's reputation is not pristine but close to it. The other guy managed the Sue Greyhunk. Come on. well, let's 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 just say this. Based on moves that the Leafs have made, that I know Babcock had his hand in, basically saying, "Lou, get me these guys, like Brian Boyle uh, and Thomas Placanitz." I don't want him being the general manager because I think no, 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 no. First of all, Mike, I don't know about Brian Boyle. I do know that Thomas Placanitz, Babcock did not want him. He wanted Clendenning from Detroit. Uh, that's true. And he acted like a little baby and never played Placanic till he had to. And then he was more than adequate. 
So that was Lou's idea and a smart one. They needed insurance there. But normally, Babcock is the guy that makes those decisions uh, as far as the top 25 go. And I don't think that's going to change. And you know one thing. If Babcock's making them with Lamorello as the ipso facto general manager, you sure as hell aren't going to have Kyle Dubas telling Babcock who to put in the top 25. Right. You can forget that. Yeah, and that's that's the concern. If you have Kyle Dubas going out there and making moves as a general manager, I mean, obviously he's going to be making them in concert with everybody else in the organization. You'd be stupid not to do that. But, you know, if he thinks that the team should go in a, in a certain direction and, and it's a player, and we've already seen Babcock like not play guys like, you know, borderline guys like Frankie Corrado because he didn't, he yeah. didn't sign off on bringing them in, so he wasn't going to play the guy. So what happens when it's a big fish that they go out and sign in free agency or make a trade for? That's, that's the concern I have. But. I think that was, Corrado was the first guy Lou picked up on waivers, and he was the last. <laughs> well, no, he, he Very, did, fairly he, simple. He did pick up Curtis McElhaney, and that ended up turning out pretty good. But, yeah, I get your, I get your point. Oh, yes. Was, yeah, but yes, I think, he did. Yes, he I, did. But, but that I, would, I would think that Babcock was a big part of that. Yes, because he – I mean, when I say a big part, let's say 50-50. Yeah, he hated Jonas Enroth. He hated the small goaltender and, and the other yeah, goalie. Yeah, I, I don't blame him. Yeah, well. And Lou okay, got um, him. So, uh, listen, the one thing, Mike, and I hate to repeat it, Brendan Shanahan did Lou Lamorello a favor. It's too bad Lou didn't recognize it. Two quick things, and we'll we'll finish up. Uh, going forward, the Leafs picked 25th in the first round in the upcoming draft. Um, they, you know, they. My opinion, and I wrote this earlier this week. The Leafs have a much different approach for picks in the top 10 and top 15 of the first round than they do later picks. And in both instances, with this management team, when they had a pick in the 20s, they either traded down or used it to get a play, an established player like Freddie Anderson. They had the Pittsburgh pick from the Kessel deal, yeah. and they traded for Freddie Anderson. I think they're at a point now where they've had a couple first-round losses. They recognize where they need to improve. I think they're not making that pick. I think that pick is going to be part of a package to either get a defenseman or to bolster themselves up the middle because now Bozak is gone and they don't have a fourth-line center. What do you think of, of that uh, proposition? Well, I think that makes a lot of sense. I I look at the free agent defenseman, and John Carlson is the pick of the litter. But if Washington lets him go, they might as well fool it up. So you can be almost certain that unless money prevails, uh, and it could in Washington, although I shouldn't say money, the cap will prevail, uh, then Carlson is not going to be a candidate. So in order to get a defenseman that is better than what they have, they have to uh, use the draft pick and find some guy that I don't know who they're going to find. The defensemen, good defensemen, the ones that the Leafs are missing right now and might have in the lineup and when they develop, but they're not ready to be, right. a, uh, to be a, the anchor uh, to a, a defense that's going to prevail in any round of the playoffs. They just yeah. don't play the game without the puck well enough. And, uh, I don't think it's coaching. I just don't think they have the the physical and mental makeup to be a, a solid defenseman. So I, I, I think you're, you're probably right on, Mike, that they'll use that uh, in some way, shape, or form to get a uh, 
a, a good defenseman from a rebuilding team. And uh, you go down the rebuilding teams, and uh, who is it? Uh, Vancouver's rebuilding. Uh, I don't know what Phoenix is doing. Uh, but, uh, you know, a guy like Chalmerson would be a nice acquisition. It'll take more than a first-round pick, that's all. Yeah, I, I, th- I think if you're talking about those two teams, they've long been connected to Chris Tanev, but the injury situation with him is something that is questionable. Um, with, with Arizona, if they're going after a defenseman, I think they're going for, the, for going for the gusto. I think they're going for Ekman Larson, but I think it'll cost them a ton. Um, okay, two, two quick, quick things. They have six unrestricted free agents, Van Riemsdyk, Komarov, Bozak, Dominic Moore, Placanitz, and Roman Polak. How many of those six do you think are back, and which ones? Well, I think Roman Polak will be back as the sixth guy, and he's a worth, worthwhile acquisition at that level. Uh, I have a soft spot for Van Riemsdyk, but he's too soft to play five-on-five uh, five hockey the way that uh, Babcock likes his big boys to do. Uh, but I still I still have a reluctance to let a guy go who creates as much offense. Uh, Tyler Bozak is at the end of the rope unless they can sign him for a salary that is commensurate with a third or fourth centerman, and he would be a dandy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, who else did we miss here? Komarov, I think, has reached the end of the – uh, of the uh, of the rope, and you'd be going on to uh, something else. Yeah, and I and I don't think they, Dominic Moore. He he basically gave his job away three times, so I don't think he'll be back. And Placanitz is going yeah, back to no. Montreal. Um, last last thing, um, and this is t- I think tied in with you know the restricted free agency of William Nylander and whether the Leafs are going to want to spend big money on him and whether he is an option at center. Center depth is a problem for this team. After Matthews and Kadri, there's really nothing other than a couple fringe guys with the, with the Toronto Marlies. There's been a lot of speculation about John Tavares, and obviously he's not a depth center. He's a number one. But um, there's speculation because him and Austin Matthews are represented by the same agent, and obviously he's a Toronto-area kid. Do you think it's a impossibility or a slim possibility or likely that we see John Tavares or at least see the Leafs try to get John Tavares this summer? Well, I I, I think it's a, a slim possibility. It's highly improbable. I don't see Tavares going out of the out of the New York market. I mean, the Rangers are going to come after him hard. Mm-hmm. He's got. He, he obviously has a soft spot for the Islanders, and we'll see, see what they get at 11 and 12 in the draft, whether Garth Snow can sell them, because he sure can't sell them on the group that he finished the season with. Uh, I, in my heart of hearts, I'd like to see Tavares. I think it'd be a, a great center ice. Uh, and Tavares can play the wing if they want to put him on the power play. But it, it depends on the cost. I mean, if if you pay Tavares eight, uh, you're going to get a bargain, but you're going to have to pay more because of uh, the, pre- the last year's free agent draft, last year's uh, restricted free agent draft. I, I, I see Tavares going for 10, and that's too much for John Tavares. 
that's what the Leafs have to be careful of. And they want to project youth. John Tavares is 27, 28. You know, he's got another five productive years in this game, in the game of speed. So you'll be giving him an eight-year deal and hoping that the three, last three years you'll be able to do something with. Uh, or hopefully he'll be uh, solid enough to play. I, I, I think it's a, it's a difficult conundrum to put yourself in because it reduces Matthews' ice time. And Matthews, based on my recollection, is a better player at the same age than Tavares was from the standpoint of skate, shoot, make plays, and still only 20 years old. John started when he was 19. So now you can't look at the point totals because that's a different story. Uh, Different coaches, different strokes. But uh, I I think Matthews can be everything that Tavares was. And uh, the, the, the commonality is, Everybody's excited about these superstars. Ovechkin just made the first time in his career the third round in the playoffs, and he scored over 100 goals in the playoffs. I think two, maybe three or one. One was he just last week got the first game winner he's ever gotten. Well, Bill, thank you very much for, for coming on. Uh, I'll definitely touch base with you uh, around draft time and free agency. Uh, once again, really appreciate it, and thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. My pleasure. Hmm. What did you think of that conversation between Mike Augello and Bill Waters? Pretty intriguing stuff. Is Bill on point with most of his leaf takes off base? Let us know. Leave your two cents on the interview in the comments section of our YouTube page. Like and subscribe to that thing while you are there. In the meantime, Mike and I are going to gather for the next Leafs Convo in the days ahead. There's always something to talk about when the Maple Leafs are involved. We're on Radio Public now, so you can listen to us through that platform if you choose. And the YouTube page is the place to be. Oh, on Twitter, at I am Sports Heart, at the Leafs Convo, and at Mike in Buffalo. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk soon.